Well, good morning. My name is Cody. I am the college minister here, for those who may not know. Uh, today is spring forward. Uh, I know at noon we're going to have a line of people coming in, looking through, like ready to sit down, and uh, we're heading out. So for those who may have missed the, uh, the memo, uh, but we won't judge them. I mean, that, that happens. Uh, thank you all so much for being here. I know it's spring break, and a lot of people are traveling uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. Um, just so encouraging to be able to have this opportunity to continue in our study in Romans. Uh, that's the big news around here lately, for if you, this is your first Sunday. Uh, we just started a series going through the book of Romans, and I'm continuing that. Uh, Blake took two weeks to go through Romans 1 through 7. I'm going to take one week to go through Romans 1, sorry, Romans 1, 1 through 7. And I'm going to go through Romans 1, 8 through 15. So I'm going to cover the same amount of verses, but just in one uh, sitting. So uh, the challenge is set before us. Uh, this past week, uh, the staff, Blake, and uh, everybody from that is paid staff member here at Southside, we went to a conference in Flower Mound. It was called the Village 101 because uh, we went to the Village Church. Uh, that's where uh, Matt Chandler pastors. Uh, you may have heard of him. He's kind of a big deal here in Texas. A lot of college students like to call him uh, Matty Chan Chan. Uh, so if I say that, that's where Matty Chan Chan. Um, so he's in Flower Mound, and they... They do a lot of things, you know, great, and they invite uh, about 150 people, uh, staff members, church leaders from around the country to come to this conference. And what it is is just, you know, you go, you sit, and you learn, and we cover everything from different sessions, from, you know, interns to care counseling to children's ministry to missions to administrative assistance to family ministry. And it's a great time for us to be able to see what they're doing and then be able to, uh, you know, take and sift through and see, okay, how can, we, how can we fit that here at Southside? Or, oh, we may not need to do that, but we can try to do this. And it's just a great time of edification. You know, it's, it's a great time of us to be able to help serve y'all, the church, better. You know, so, so that's the reason why we do this. You know, why, why do we go on conferences? Why do, why do, you know, students across the nation spend thousands of dollars on a seminary education? Why do... Pastors and leaders go to conferences away from their families, in some cases hundreds if not thousands of miles away. Well, it's because we love you guys, because we love the church. That's the, that's the chief reason of, of why we're here. Now, for me personally, I, I didn't always love the church or see myself working in the church. The, uh, this is kind of a little-known fact about me, and the elders may not even know this, but uh, I... I used to abuse and maim my Sunday school teachers, and it was a horrible thing. Granted, I was four years old, but I would be dropped off at Sunday school, and my parents made the mistake of buying me these cowboy boots. Even though we're living in Virginia, they wanted me to have my Texas roots, so they had to get me some cowboy boots. And so I'd wear these cowboy boots, and they'd drop me off at Sunday school, only to be called back five minutes later saying that Cody is kicking his Sunday school teachers in the shins. And so I was a, uh, I was a little rebel when, when I was, they're smiling down here because it's true. It's, that's, I'm not exaggerating that story at all. I would kick my Sunday school teachers. I haven't heard of any of that going on so far uh, at Southside. Uh, so teachers, just, just be on guard. That, that, that can happen. You may want to wear shin guards. Uh, go to the academy, get some shin guards that they use in soccer. Um, so I, I used to not enjoy church, to say the least. And there may be some here that, you may, this may be your family. 
You know, this, this church may really indeed be your family. For some of you, it may be just kind of the church that you heard about through a friend and you're just kind of checking it out. And for some of you, you may have grown up bored in church. You may have grown up loving church in a whole array of things in between. No matter where we come from or what our background is and how we feel about the church, we're called, we, we're called to love the church. Now, when I say the church, I'm going to refer to the church, and I, I think we've got to get past this, this mindset, this, this, this stereotype. The church is not Blake, the staff, or the elders. Okay, that, that is not the church that I'm talking about. That, that is not the church that we see in Scripture. It's not the ministers you and us, we are the church, okay? So that's, when I talk about the church, that's what I'm going to be, really what I'm going to be referring to. I hope, hope you don't confuse staff and leadership as the church. So since we're called to love the church, who better to um, follow the example of loving the church than Paul himself? Well, Jesus, because, I mean, he's the bridegroom and the church is the bride. He loves church more, and we're going to follow his example. But really, in Scripture, I mean, it's Paul. He wrote most of the New Testament, and all of his letters are written to the church or a church in a, in a location or to a member of the church. And that's what, exactly what this passage in Romans 1, verses 18, 8 through 15 is going to show us. We're going to see Paul's example of loving the church. You'll see in this passage that there's no explicit commands, but we see rather an example to follow. And Paul will be an example for us in three ways. Okay? He's going to be an example for us in his thankfulness for the church. He's going to be an example for us in prayer for the church. And then in edification. And when I say edification, that means to help edit, to help conform, to help mold and shape, okay? Before we dive into the, into the word, let's just review a little bit of what we've talked about. Paul, he's the author here, he is writing to a mixed audience in Rome. It's consisting of Jews and Gentiles. And we don't know how this church started, but we can thank a, a faithful brother or sister or an, an unknown brother or sister in Christ for planting this church. Paul has not visited this church yet, but here we, see, here we see that he really, 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 really wants to see them. He emphatically desires to reach them. Now, uh, we're going to be going through verses 8 through 15. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you feel free to use that uh, Bible in the pew back in front of you. That's on page 883 is where we're going to be. Starting in verse 8. I'm going to read the whole passage and then we'll break it down. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers or sisters, 
that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. A lot being said there, and it's, it's really just a, a, a intimate, like almost like a one-on-one conversation that he's having with, like, I'm just going to get real with you. I'm going to be at face level and just looking in the face and say, hey, this is what I want to happen. Okay. And this, what we're, what we're getting from this conversation of him talking to this church so personally, we get to see his pastoral heart. We get to really see him kind of get on eye level. And we get to see his example that he sets for us to follow. So go back up to verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So we get to see Paul's example for loving the church through his thankfulness. It's the first thing we're going to cover. Just, we've got to get the context of this. We've got to get the, the wrap our brains around this a little bit. Paul used to be the Pharisee of Pharisees, the persecutor of Christians, is now thankful for them. What a testimony to to God, to just God's work. Think about how many times he said, I thank my God. I mean, he wrote that many times, I'm sure. But as a Pharisee and not having any faith in the incarnation of God. Then Jesus threw Paul off his rocker or more practically his horse and by peering in a bright light and blinding him. And Jesus came in and wrecks everything. It's because of this experience, he is now thankful to God through, through Christ Jesus, through Jesus Christ, for the church. The thing, the, the, the church is the thing that he previously set his whole life's goal of dethroning and getting rid of, of eradicating. And now he's thankful for them. It was Jesus who made Paul who he was, and it's Jesus that started this church in Rome. And now Jesus is the reason why we have Southside Baptist Church here. And Jesus is the reason why we have Christianity today and not Christianity yesterday. That is only a work of God that we are able to see this. It's not just a, a movement that rose up and then died off. Jesus is the reason that, that brings this thing called church, called Christianity, little Christ's. In the modern day, Christ Jesus is the one who changes Pharisees into little Christs. He's the same God who takes dead people and makes them alive. He's at work today. And today, I want to extend the same invitation that Blake extended last week. I extend the invitation of salvation that this Jesus who takes dead people and makes them alive He did when he was here on earth as a man. He did that physically. And then today, he takes people, spiritually dead people, and makes them alive. That same opportunity is extended to you today to repent from your way of doing things, repent from your sin, and to turn to him as Lord of your life. Turn with me, if you will, to uh, Galatians chapter 1. is on page 913 in the Bible in the pew back in front of you. 
I want to put a little more uh, flesh and blood on Paul and from his own mouth what he's talking about here and, and, and what, how he views his story and his testimony. This is what Paul would have shared around the campfire at, at church camp, his story, his testimony, right, as Kumbaya was being sung. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. Don't get caught up, just, just listen and try to read it as a big story and see the progression here of, of Paul. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Now I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So just catch you up. Just take a little pause there. Just catch you up. Paul, he was top of his class, straight A student. He was like, not like me. He was more like my wife, Carolyn, and who was the brainiac of the family. And he was head of his class and doing great in Judaism, and he hated Christianity. But, in verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. He, he, that's what the thing maybe would have been to do, to go hang out with the apostles that were with Jesus throughout his life. But he went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus, verse 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, or Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And then he's, he's, he's going to bring it home like I'm not lying. He's, he's, he's bringing it home in parentheses here in verse 20. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, listen to this, this is, this is the whole point. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorify God because of me. You want evidence of the Holy Spirit working? You want evidence of Jesus? Look at the life of Paul. This hater of Christianity is now thankful and is writing to churches. And go back to Romans chapter 1. Where this is kind of like a greeting, right? This is, this is why he is showing this church. He's telling this church why he's thankful for them. He says in other books uh, to the Corinthians, he is grateful for God's grace in their lives. To the Galatians, he is astonished that they're deserting the faith so quickly. To the Ephesians and the Colossians, he is grateful for their faith in Christ and love toward the brothers. To the Philippians, he's thankful for their partnership in the gospel to the Thessalonians, he is thankful for the steadfastness in persecution through hope in Jesus. And to Timothy, he charges him to not teach a different doctrine. And to Titus, he is appointing Titus to appoint elders in the surrounding towns. And to Philemon, he's thankful for his love and faith towards Jesus Christ. So what sets the Romans apart? What makes them different in his greeting? 
So why is Paul thankful for the church in Rome? Because their faith is proclaimed in all the world. See that in verse 8. Because their faith is proclaimed in all the world. You see, Rome was the key city to spread the gospel. If you wanted something to spread, you go to Rome. If you want news to be spread or culture to be spread, you go to Rome. It was the place of all culture and news, and it was the hub of the Roman Empire, really just the known world. Whatever happened in Rome happened in the rest of the world. It is known as the chief city of the world at this time. It's much like a New York or a London or Paris or Tokyo today. And these are seemingly the first Christians in this metropolis. Christianity has the potential to explode at this point. He is thankful of that. And we are seeing the evidences of that by their faith being proclaimed in all the world. So to zoom back out, to, we've kind of taken a really in-depth look. Now to zoom back out, we see Paul's example of loving the church through his thankfulness for the church. Let's move on to verses 9 and 10. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. Talk about a prayer life. (laughs) We're going to see in this point, we're going to see Paul's example of loving the church by praying for them. First we'll talk about his thankfulness and now his praying for them. Paul prays for the church and we should follow suit. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, it's not in like a legalistic, obligatory way of, there shall be great and evil punishment that comes upon thee if you, did not miss, if you miss a prayer session. Like, this is, that's not what he's saying. Like, he's saying, he's encouraging us to pray joyfully without ceasing. And not just to pray for anything, but Paul is praying for the church. In all of his time, in times of prayer that without ceasing, he's thinking of this church. It's a joyful thing that we get to do for each other. And let's follow Paul's example and pray for each other. Not for ourselves or our circumstances, but for each other. That's the beauty of the church. It takes the me's and my's and I's and turns it into us and our. It's the beauty of the gospel. It takes your and my problems and rests on the shoulders of each other. One way that you can really do this practically is by praying through our monthly prayer guide, our monthly prayer directory. I challenge y'all, we've, we've got them up here in these baskets here. After service, pick one of these up. Each day, you can pray through, uh, I think it's about five, it averages out to about five each day. And pray through each family, each person that's listed on that day. And then you can just, you know, send them a text and say, hey, how can we be praying for you? Hey, wh- what's, what's going on in your life? If you don't know them, like maybe awkward to send a text to a random person, right? But if you don't know them, Maybe you should fix that. Why don't you go grab coffee with them or go have dinner. I'll ask them over for dinner. Go have lunch with them. Get to know them. We can't be thankful and we can't pray for people that we don't know. 
In Galatians 6.2, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We see this in Acts 2. The church in its earliest foundation, they had everything in common. They were in each other's business, so to speak. They really knew each other. Let us, yes, be thankful and let us pray regularly without ceasing and constantly for each other. Because when it's, when it's your time, when, when sin abounds or if, or if uh, financial struggles ensue or when a bad report from the doctor comes around, you're not on your own. You're not an island. You have brothers and sisters in Christ around you to help you, to be with you, to be family with each other. This starts with thankfulness and then prayer. Uh, going on in verse, verse 10, the second part of verse 10. He is asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last and succeed, at last succeed in coming to you. He's praying and asking by God's will. So in and through God's will. And, but Paul is still praying, though he knows that whatever happens will be in God's will. More on that in a little bit, but we're going to just store that away. Of that's, there's, there's something there. We're going to get to that more in a second. He wants to see them. We see Paul's example of loving the church by praying for the church. Which brings us to our third point. And this third point really has two subpoints under it. So this third point is Paul's example of loving the church by edifying the church. Now it's just a, a, a scary theological word, edification. It's just a scary theological word for helping to prune, helping to make edits to, helping to mold and shape. And what is he doing here? He's, he's helping to mold and shape the bride of Christ so that he can present this bride in full maturity to the bridegroom when Christ returns. So verse 11 and 12, for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul doesn't seem to be referring to a specific spiritual gift uh, because, I mean, he knows what his gifts are. We're not talking about the actual, like, spiritual gifts that he talked about in Romans 12 or in 1 Corinthians. He's using very broad language here because he knows what his gifts are. He, he's teaching and he's apostle and, and I'm sure others. But he just wants to help in whatever way he can. That's kind of what he's getting at here. That's why he uses some spiritual gift. It's a broad statement that he just wants to help out in some way. And notice the humility here. <laughs> this is Paul. It's like, think of a modern day John Piper, or AKA as the college students refer to him, uh, Johnny Pipes, or Matt Chandler, Matty Chan Chan. It's like this guy that is like so, like one of the celebrity pastors, right? That's kind of become this new phenomenon. This celebrity pastor is writing to this little tiny house church, say like in New York. He's saying, hey, I'm so excited. I love you guys. I want to be there. I want, I want to come see you. I just, I want to come. I just want to do just anything I can just to help you. Like just imagine like John Piper saying that. Like how'd you feel at that church? What? Like just kind of blown away. Oh, he wants to come see us? Like, and he, he wants to be encouraged by us? Like, duh, he's going to come and like, he's going to do a whole sermon. He's going to do a whole sermon series for the rest of the year, right? 
He wants the church to profit from him in any way that he can. And he'll only know how to help them once he sees the church in person, once he sees their needs. Paul wants to see the needs of the church and desires to meet them in any way. And what does he get out of it? Just simply encouragement from this small little house church. Which begs the question, is this our attitude when it comes to the church? For many it is. For many it is. But since we're all over the place in how we feel about the church, I want to challenge us. Do we seek how we can meet the needs of the church first? Or do we seek first how the church can meet our needs? Now, Paul's, if we're following Paul's example here, Paul is going to say, I'm just going to help. I don't care what I get in return. I just want to help. I want to serve in some small way. I think a really awesome example of that is uh, I'm up here preaching. Uh, Leash and the kids are down here, and, and Blake's in the nursery serving. <laughs> you know, our lead pastor, he's, he's serving. I challenge us all to serve, to get plugged in in some way, to serve us, not, not the staff and the elders and Blake, but us as a church, as the body of Christ. So what we see really is, is Paul, we see Paul's example of loving the church by edifying the church through self-sacrifice, through self-sacrifice. It's not anything in return. Okay, so we've, we've covered so far Paul's thankfulness for the church, Paul praying for the church, and then Paul edifying the church through self-sacrifice. Verses 13 and 14, we're going to go on to our last point underneath edification. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. And just a little sub point, a little, this, one, this one's for free. Earlier where he was praying that he would be able to come, but he knows that's ultimately in God's will. But then here he says that he's been prevented Therefore, it's God's will that he doesn't go there yet. It's God's will that Paul doesn't go there yet. But he's still praying. He's still praying and wanting to go. We see the beautiful tension here exemplified in Paul, the beautiful tension of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. It's just a simple statement of praying, but knows that he's, not, he's being prevented in coming because it's God's will. And I know he knows that in due time, he'll be able to go. And then Lord willing, he'll be able to go on to Spain which never happens, because that was God's will. Rest in that. God is, God is sovereign, and we are responsible. Uh, to, to, to zoom back into scripture here, um, I've intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. So the harvest here, that, that, that word may stick out to you. That may cue in our minds uh, Matthew 9, 37, when Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Which poses a question. Jesus is talking about really uh, going out and preaching the gospel to the unreached people. People who don't know the gospel. So then what harvest is there to reap in this church? He's talking specifically to the church here. What, what harvest is there in the church? They're all Christians. So to use the metaphor, they're all the workers. He's going to go harvest amongst the workers. There's not any grain there. They're all harvested. This shows the importance of ministering primarily to the church. It shows the importance that Paul places on ministering to the church. We're going to really drive that home here at the end, but we're going to move on. Um, Conversion is not the end goal, but just more on that in a minute. All right. Verse 14, I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to foolish. This is a beautiful, this is, this is a beautiful example of this amazing evangelist and his, his scope. No one escapes Paul's scope here of who he wants to preach the gospel to. Paul is dead set on spreading the gospel to all ends of the socioeconomic and ethnic spectrum. Paul is dead set on spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the whole spectrum, socioeconomically and ethnically. I hope we are too. I hope we are too. Um, It's a word of caution for us, especially here in Bible Belt. Be wary of comfortable Christianity, if you, if you work with and play with and live life with and go to church with and hang out with people who look like you and not just skin color, but just even in just life stage or um, even just socioeconomically, be wary of that. You may be on the verge of, of getting too comfortable with where you're at. Paul here, if we're following Paul's example, he's, he's going to everyone. No one is off his radar. I hope our, our radar, our, or the scale of our radar is challenged a little bit. So hopefully it's expanded to be what Paul's is. You see, the Greeks, they were the upper class academics of the time period. And all knowledge of logic and philosophy, even modern day philosophy, has really started among the Greeks. Okay. And the term barbarian, it's a really interesting term there. Uh, it's just what the term that the Greeks used, these high academic snooty nerds used to describe anyone that was less than them. And I think I tend to be more in the barbarian category. Uh, liberty's acceptance standard consisted of wholly having just a pulse and you could get in. So that's, a, that's Liberty University was the college I went to and that was about all you had to have to get in. Um, so Paul's trying to witness to and minister to the wise, the smart, and the foolish, not so smart. Paul wants to preach the gospel to everyone, to the smart and the stupid, to the sophisticated and the simple. No one's off his radar. The beauty of the gospel is that it reaches all kinds of people. No tribe, zero tribes are excluded I heard about a, in October, there was a young man who was in college, 
don't even think he had a degree yet. He was on, on his own, really. And he went and tried to uh, preach the gospel to a tribe, an island, a very isolated island off the coast of India. It's called Sentinel Island. And the people on that island are um, they're known as the Sentinelese. And no one had even hardly even seen them. They're really kind of the last tribe that is still, as far as we know of, that they're still stuck in basically the Stone Age. And they're isolated on this island. He heard about them, and he hired a fisherman to take them out there. And the story uh, was reminded by me, because I was going through, you, you may see in the college room, I've got a bunch of sheets of paper on the walls, and it has listed all of the unreached people groups in the world. And I was going through that, I looked at like the biggest unreached people group, which is in Bangladesh, and it's 135, it's, it's the Sheikh tribe, and there's 135 million of them in Bangladesh, and they're unreached. They don't even know, you, you talk about Jesus, they don't know what you're talking about. You talk about the Bible, they don't know what you're talking about. Nothing, okay? And I was going through this list of every single one of those tribes, and there was at the very end, the least, it had 10 people listed, or 10 people as their number, was the Sentinelese tribe that this guy tried to go preach the gospel to. I say tried because he was killed for his faith. He went out there and they were hostile to him and they killed him. Now I say all that because that is the scope of which we're talking about. The highest CEO executive in America to the Sentinelese tribe in India. That is our scope of which we are commissioned to go and to reach and to teach this gospel to. The same scope that we see with Paul here, to the wise and to the foolish. The beauty of the gospel is that it's simple enough for the mind of a child to grasp, but yet it's complex enough to keep the highest academic minds in awe and wonder. Besides the air we breathe, the gospel is the only thing that crosses every socioeconomic and every ethnic barrier. That's the beauty of this gospel. So that's who Paul is wanting to teach. And then here comes this unexpected twist at the end. Verse 15. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The gospel is meant to be preached to all kinds of people, even the group you may least expect. Who's he talking about? The church. Because I think a lot of times we're like, oh, that's a church. They're good. Okay, let's go on to uh, unreached people groups. If that's all we're locked into is unreached people groups, we're going to have a whole lot of dead and dying churches in our wake. Think about just even in your own life of, of preaching the gospel of, to, to people. If you, all you do is just, oh, let me get them to say this prayer. And you move on and don't live life with them. What does that person look like five years from now? Paul's talking to the church. He wants to preach the gospel to the church. He wants to edify the church. So why does he need to preach the gospel to the church? They're already evangelized. They're already converted. See, our, our Western American churchianity brains may have a little problem with this, maybe stumped by this a little bit. We think evangelism and conversion is the end goal. Period. Paul, Paul thinks that evangelism and conversion is the means to a higher goal. 
Evangelism and conversion is not the end goal. P. Bowers uh, says this. I'm going to read this quote twice. The gospel includes not simply an initial preaching mission, but the full sequence of activities resulting in settled churches. i read it again. The gospel includes not simply an initial preaching mission, even though that's great, but the full sequence of activities resulting in settled churches. That's what the gospel is. It's, it's taking and maturing this beautiful thing called the bride of Christ and the church to when Christ comes back. For a disciple maker to think her job is done when her friend is converted, praise God for that. But for a disciple maker to think her job is done is like a parent who thinks that the work is done at the birth of their child. As any parent knows, that's just the beginning. Or it's like a parent pursuing adoption. It's like a parent thinking that their work is done once they sign the papers. That is simply the, the means to the end. That's just the beginning. Just celebrated a year with Gabe. Gabriel, my son down there. If only the birth was all that it was. <laughs> It'd be a lot easier, right? <laughs> Starting to get to where he knows what I'm saying. He's, he's no, no, Gabe. No, no, Gabe. Got to discipline him. You know, it gets tough, and the, and the worst is yet to come. You still got to go through high school and puberty and all that stuff. You kidding me? Oh. This is simply the beginning. You see, we, we often equate faithfulness and obedience exclusively. We think that our job is, as faithful, obedient followers of Christ, we think that it's exclusively evangelism. And why do we think this? Because many times, especially as Baptists, we base successful ministry off of of numbers of people being baptized or prayers being said. And we think that that's it. Oh, I've made it. But friends, hear me. Our work is just beginning, as is Paul's. This is directly opposed to Paul's heart towards the Romans. He is going to preach the gospel to Christians that they may be edified and discipled. Conversion is only half the story. And what this does is conversion, once they're converted and, and Christ has regenerated them, conversion is proven with a life of sanctification. When I say sanctification, I'm talking about being made holy, sanctified, set apart, a process of being edified and turned into Christ and, and turning into the bride of Christ, becoming Christ-like. Conversion leads to sanctification, which that's not even the end goal. The end goal of sanctification is that one day we're going to be with Jesus up in heaven. Glorification. We're going to be with Jesus in glory. That's why so many churches are dying because that's why many, so many children, we heard a stat broke my heart. Well, the, that stat that uh, they shared at the Village Church that by 2050, we're going to have, we're going to basically lose a generation. It's estimated that 40 million of our now youth will be leaving the church by 2050. That's what happens when all we think it, that when we think that conversion is the end goal. Sanctification and pursuit of discipleship must happen like Paul is doing here. 
if we think conversion or church planning is the end goal, then Paul probably shouldn't have written this letter. Because he's writing to believers. He's writing to edify the church. It's not written to evangelize the unbelievers. That's going to be part of the byproduct. But he is writing to believers. That's what the believers within the church's job is supposed to do. They're supposed to preach the gospel and evangelize. The chief end of the Bible is to bring about God's glory, yes, but he does this through the church. His glory throughout all the nations and the church is his plan A of reaching these people and there is no plan B. You see, Paul's example of loving the church by edifying the church through preaching the gospel to all kinds of people. So we see Paul's example in his thankfulness, we read earlier, in his love by praying for them. We see his love by edifying them. And we see that in two ways. He edifies them by giving of self, by imparting some spiritual gift. And he edifies them by preaching the gospel to them, to the church, to all kinds of people. I'm going to read, you can go ahead and turn with me in in closing. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. That's on page 922. Page 922. Philippians chapter 2. Starting in verse 12, going through 18. I want you to, what we're reading here is Paul wanting this church to finish and work hard and finish strong. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Get this language here. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. So he's not running or laboring in vain because he's pouring into them. He's investing in this church, and he's running with them, not just starting and stopping. He goes on to say, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. If I can be poured out with everything that is left within me, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. See, Paul, he's in it with these churches, every church that he wrote to, he's in it for the long haul. He's got the long view in mind. No, I'm not talking about East Texas. He's got the long view five, 10 years, 20 years down the road in mind. And thankfully, praise God, we are led as a church by like-minded men who have the long view in mind and not just today. Yes, today is in view, but with the long view in mind. So elders, thank you for your service and thank you for giving us that long view direction. So let's bring this home as we conclude. What can Paul's example, how does Paul love the church? 
First, ask yourself, are you, are you thankful for the church? We as a staff, remember my language here, we as a staff are super, we, we feel so loved and, and thankful. Like we're, we feel you. We got you. Like thank you for being thankful for us. We are blessed by this church richly. But I wonder if the person you've never seen before in service feels the same way or maybe someone that you just, you've never, you never told them, hey, I'm thankful for you. Maybe it's someone you've known for 15 years. Have you ever told them that you're thankful for them? That you get to live life with them? That's my challenge, just real practical, easy challenge right after service. I challenge you, go find someone. If they have encouraged you in some way, Look them in the eye and just tell them, I'm thankful for you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here at Southside. Now, you, you can tell it to the staff, but I encourage you to find someone else. Like, go, go find a member of the church. Then second, thankfulness was first. Second, do you pray for the church constantly and consistently? You can do this through these prayer guides here. And when you... When you pray for that someone. I pray that you would be able to just, you would text and say, hey, I'm praying for you throughout the day. Is there anything specifically I can be praying for? I just want to let you know, hey, like I hope this becomes part of our regular conversation. Hey, just how can we be praying for you? And then if you like send them a text, it's a lot easier for you to remember. Because if you just say, oh yeah, I'll pray for you. And then you just kind of go about your day. You go ahead and take the step of just texting them. That does a lot of just helping to remember, right? And then it's a, it's a practice. It's a discipline. Becoming constant in prayer it takes practice. It takes a long time. Third, as Paul did, do we edify the church through self-sacrifice? So Paul, this big dog, Paul, just wanted to help in some small way. And all he got out of it was simply encouragement, being encouraged by the body simply just by it existing. He's encouraged by them. Are you, we've got a ton of people who are serving regularly and giving self-sacrificially. But maybe this is another reminder for you. Maybe this is, this is your time to step out, to, to make a stand. Maybe it just maybe as simple as saying, hey, I'm going to pursue membership at a church here. I'm at this church here. I'm going to put my stake in the ground and say, this is my family. I ain't going to leave. That may be the first step for you, just pursuing membership. Our membership class is coming up in April. And finally, are you... Um, are you serving in the church in some way? We've got serve cards available if you want to ask an elder or a staff member about it. There's a lot of different ways you can get involved by serving the church, y'all, serving us, we. Last point, Paul edified the church by preaching the gospel to everyone, including the church. The thing is, you can do this too. And no, it may not look like preaching the gospel and, and preaching a sermon on Sunday morning. But first off, ask yourself this question. Do you preach the gospel to yourself? Maybe a good first baby step. Do you preach the gospel to yourself on a daily basis? That God is holy, that man is sinful, that Christ came to redeem, and that we get to live in response to this. God, man, Christ response. And secondly, do you preach the gospel to your family, especially shout out to the husbands and fathers in this room. Do you preach the gospel to your family? 
I'm not asking you to, to go and God may call you to go to unreached people groups and share the gospel. But you will not be able to go and re- preach to unreached people groups if you're not preaching the gospel here. You first start to the family. I challenge you as I challenge myself. Preach the gospel to our family. We're going to be starting a, uh, a men's study on Wednesday nights um, on March 27th. It's in two Wednesdays. Um, it'd be great. If you're, if you're not sure how to do that with your family, if you're not sure how to lead in that way, I challenge you to come check it out. You can register online. Uh, if you're a man, if you're a husband, single, or father. And then just kind of a last little edification. Do you hear the gospel preached over you on Sundays? Yeah, it's, it's not just about attending. It's about soaking in. It's about diving down. It's about digesting. It's about taking notes. I love it when I see people taking notes. That is amazing. That you can go and just glean it, glean over this. Then we can go and preach the gospel to all people.